welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I just used some Sally Ratus toothpaste today. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Care to guess? Charcoal? Close. I mean, kind of on the opposite spectrum, baking soda. Oh, got yeah. it. You know, I've um, thought about this charcoal thing for toothpaste because it's like, you know, the rage right now. Mm-hmm. However, I've read that it's all, it's carcinogenic, so don't use it. Cause well, I mean, yeah, like you're, it's literally like ashes. Yeah. So I don't know. But then the baking soda has been a, a good standby for toothpaste for a long time. That's true. Baking soda is kind of magical. Yeah, it does a lot of things. Uh, Chris will like put some in some water when he's got really bad heartburn and just like chug it back. It mm, helps. Nice. You know, and then all the other things. Yeah, it's good for like scrubbing pots and pans mm-hmm. with like stuck on stuff and making your refrigerator smell okay. Removing stains. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Creating volcanoes. Oh, yeah. Back mm-hmm. in the day. Yep. Well, um, that was a good like little learning lesson, but we're. Now we're back to our new case. Yes. Um, Trisha, you picked this one. I did pick this one, and I will tell you why I picked it in a minute. I'll do my question really quick. It's a pretty, it should be a pretty quick question. Right. Courtney, when you, we're about the same age. I'm older, obviously, but we're still kind of in the same generation. What, if any, video games did you play as a kid? Oh. Or what was your main one? So... Funny story, kind of. My mom didn't allow any video games in our house um, because when I was, like, really little, like, four or five years old, my dad had, like, a Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. So, like, Mario, Zelda, Duck Hunt, those games. Um, But when he was struggling with his mental health, he would, like, do nothing but play video games all day. And so my mom, when I was probably, I don't know, six or seven, sold the console at like a garage sale uh-huh. and we just never had a video game console in my house after that ever is um are people with um, your dad is manic depressive correct or like yeah he has bipolar disorder yeah um mm-hmm. is that a common thing for people with bipolar to be like sucked into the video i mean i know a lot of kids are sucked in the video games but i didn't really know that some people with mental illness would be even worse Um, I think it's more, so it was more when he was in, like, a depressive state Uh of he just had no motivation to, like, do anything else kind of a thing. So it was, like, a mindless activity. Uh Uh-huh. I get that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, the one, the only video game that I've ever beat was Metroid, and that was on regular Nintendo. Oh. And that was with the cheat code Justin Bailey, and it would turn um, Seamus, the little guy that would fight mother brain at the end into a a woman character with green hair if i remember right oh and she had all these powers i've never even heard of that game really yeah oh yeah it's one of the first regular nintendo games makes sense but um i have so chris bought me a a long time ago for christmas an xbox 360 and uh, because i wanted to play the harry potter game that was out at the time i think it was like the fourth movie and i did beat that Okay. But then I don't, I, I try playing video games, but I get really bored um, because I don't, I don't get very far. And I'm just one of those people that sort of, if I'm not naturally inclined, I sort of give up. (laughs) I am so So, with you there. Like definitely like getting older, like I'd have like friends and like 
high school, college, that would be like playing video games. And I would occasionally join in with like even just something easy like Mario Kart or mm-hmm. something. But I was not good at it. Mario Kart was fun. It is fun. Yeah. I mm-hmm. would play that with my friend Tasha um, until like I would sleep and see Mario Kart in my dreams or wow. like and like trying to sleep. It was like playing in my head because mm. we play it so much. But nice. The only one I was ever good at. I don't know if this really counts, um, but was Rock Band. Oh, okay. Technically, I, it's a video game. Yeah. No, I've never, I mean, I've played it, but not very well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a singing part, and I'm a singer. Yeah. So, we and used, I kind of played the bass sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, we used to play American Idol, oh. um, my girlfriends and I, Sarah, Sarah, who listens to us, um, she had that and I had it too, but then my neighbor's kid knocked it over and broke it. This is going way farther <laughs> than I thought it would. I thought this was going to be a one and done question. Sorry, guys. That was probably so boring for you going down our memory lane with us. So we're going to pull ourselves out. Right. But hey, that was a fun conversation. Sounds it like was. We, we could have kept going with like our really limited skills. Right. Exactly. <laughs> video games. So, anyways, um, so this case, Courtney and I were sitting around. Uh, we were talking about how stupid Kenneth Bianchi was faking his multiple personality illness. And we were like, has there been a case where somebody actually did have multiple personalities or DID? And um, we started Googling and then we found somebody. Um, Not necessarily a serial killer that we know. Right. um, But it sounds like he did kill a couple people possibly. But he was a serial rapist. Right. Right. And so that is Billy Milligan or William Milligan. And um, the book that we're using for this case is The The Minds of Billy Milligan by Daniel Keyes. Um, but there's also a very recent Netflix four-part documentary uh, called Monsters Inside the 24 Faces of Billy Milligan. And it's pretty interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, there's always going to be skeptics regarding this diagnosis. Right. Um, but doing this research, it kind of, if there's anyone that's had it, he seems like he might have legitimately had um, this diagnosis. So we're going to go with it. Yes. We're going to proceed as if it's 100% certain that he has this diagnosis. Correct. Okay. All right, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and then, um, never mind, I'll talk about that next time. Let's see here. Can you, Courtney, before we start, um, and even though we did give a brief summary of DID during the Hillside Strangler episode, can you just give us another little rundown of what was known as multiple personality disorder back during Billy Milligan's time because we'll see that Billy displays behaviors very early on in his life that make it much more plausible that he actually suffered from this diagnosis and from a very early age. Yeah. So multiple personality disorder was changed to dissociative identity disorder, which is what we call it now um, in the fourth edition of the DSM, which came out in 1994. So about 15 years or so after Billy was diagnosed. Um, so in the current DSM-5 version, dissociative identity disorder has five criteria that must be met for a person to receive this diagnosis. So first, there must be the presence of two or more distinct identities or personality states that are present, 
each with its own relatively enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment and the self. And these personalities involve marked discontinuity or differences in sense of self, the sense of agency, um, and having, you know, different changes in affect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. So um, basically all of these different identities are distinct enough from one another that you might be able to tell that they were different people with different experiences. Now, back in the DSM-4, they had to be noticeable by other people, but in the new edition of the DSM-5 revised, um, it only has to be noticed and experienced by the self. So that is one difference. Okay. Yeah. So second, once you establish, yep, we've got multiple distinct identities going on here, then there has to be the presence of amnesia. So defined as gaps in the recall of everyday events, um, important information, and or traumatic events. So there must be things that you don't remember, essentially, or like blackout times or lost time. Third, the person experienced this must be distressed by the disorder and have trouble functioning in, you know, parts of his life, which is pretty much true for any mental health disorder. And then fourth, the disturbance is not part of normal cultural or religious practices. So, for example... Um, a kid having an imaginary friend, if it's normal to think of kids having imaginary friends, wouldn't count as this. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, like in some cultures, speaking to like spirit guides or things like that would also not count as this. Um, so it must be out of the norm for the culture. And then finally, the symptoms um, can't be due to the direct effects of a substance or a medical condition. So... Other features and signs of DAD, so the less clinical world and more of the, like, well, what does this look like? Um, So things that you look at are, um, you know, the different parts or alters, as they're often called. Um, Each have their own distinct memories, beliefs, and opinions that can be contradictory to each other. Um, People are often told that they have done things that they have no memory of. Um, and in general, they just have kind of difficulty with emotional regulation and trust because um, it's hard to know what to feel and who you can trust when you keep waking up in different places than you remember being, mm-hmm. right? And then in children in particular, and that's kind of what we'll talk about today, um, signs of DID include appearing withdrawn and frightened, being different in ways that people can't really explain but just you know, Billy's different today. Billy's weird. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, They have erratic access to knowledge, information, and skills that looks like fluctuating abilities, moods, fears, preferences, and anxieties. So for example, one day, you know, when one alter is present, they might be really great at math and they like whip through like a math assignment really quickly And then the next day, when someone else, a different altar is fronting, they might not have those same skills. And so now it looks like they don't know how to do math at all, Mm -hmm. which can be really confusing. Right. Um, And then, of course, feelings of guilt and shame, 
um, they, they can appear to appear to have defiant behaviors, right? So if you told someone not to do something on Tuesday and then on Thursday they do it, but it's because you told an alter and not this one, um, it can look like they're being defiant and oppositional. Um, and then, of course, trouble in school. You know, you might learn one some, something one day with one alter and not recall it later. So that's kind of what it looks like. And to put it in perspective, um, you know, dissociative identity disorder is very rare with an estimated like less than 1% of the human population might at some point qualify for this. So most people with trauma don't develop DID. Um, and often DID gets misdiagnosed because it's not the first thing that people are looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and it can look like so many other things, especially when the host is not aware that they have alters. So it's often misdiagnosed as psychosis, bipolar, um, or even uh, borderline personality disorder. And what I have learned <clears throat> by like studying in my limited capacity DID is that it only develops with prolonged and intense trauma. Correct. That occurs at a very early age. Right. So people who have actual a diagnosis with DID have experienced some horrific things repetitively as a young child. Generally speaking, yes. So, I mean, right off the bat, like, if you ever meet anyone with DID, like, which I don't know if I ever will because it's so rare, I'm just going to know, like, th they had suffered terribly at some point in their life. So, right. And the DID was cre like the identities were created to basically save that person mm -hmm. so they could survive that trauma. Which, you know, it makes sense when, when we go through this case and reading that book. It is fantastical. It is hard to comprehend. Uh, but I think that's partially just because if you don't study this type of disorder, it's, it's like the brain is so amazing. The, the subconscious, the, the bits and pieces that we pick up that we might not be able to consciously, you know, recall – still are somewhere in our mind. And I see like with this case, when he, when the altars come out and they all have different skills and they all have different this, that, and the other, um, that it's, it's almost like their whole memory is being used, but different altars are using different pieces. Right. Whereas like a typical person with one personality or, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not altars would only use the stuff that really is relevant to their life at the time. So all the stuff that we learn, we don't always recall it. We can't, it's just, there's too much information coming in at us all, all times. That's why, you know, yeah, you took so many years of this class, that, and the other, but if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that to really um, accept this diagnosis as real, you got to kind of think, well, look, Billy at some point learned about all of these things that his alters have like grasped on and then like perfected as their own like help. Does that make sense? I, I don't. It does. Be, yeah. Because it, 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 you'll see as we talk about this, how fantastic this sounds and how I can so see how people would be skeptical about this diagnosis. Um, but we just have to remember how amazing the human mind is and that we don't totally understand it. We don't understand the brain like at all. Yeah. And, I mean, statistically and like, for all intents and purposes, we know some things, but we really don't know how the brain works. Yeah. In a lot of ways. 
So with that and, you know, going into that, you know, let's let's do the best we can <laughs> explaining this case because it is quite fascinating, but it's complicated. Um, so, yeah, here we go. William Stanley Milligan was born February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1955 in Miami Beach, Florida. His parents were Dorothy, Stan- Dorothy Sands and Johnny Morrison. He would have an older brother named Jim and a younger sister named Kathy as well. So his dad was rumored to be an alcoholic that had a gambling problem. He was a stand-up comic, uh, sometimes to earn money, but he was often severely depressed. He would beat his wife when they would argue about his gambling and all the money he owed to the loan sharks. And in 1958, when Billy was three years old, Johnny was hospitalized for all of this behavior and a suicide attempt. So he was fast. He was found passed out on the table after consuming a bottle of scotch and a bottle of pills. Billy and his first imaginary friend saw his father take the pills and drink the scotch in an attempt on his own life. Unfortunately, Johnny would succeed at completing suicide on January seventeenth, nineteen fifty-nine, from carbon monoxide poisoning when Billy and Billy was about four years old. So, Courtney, let's talk about this. What are some of the impacts of a parent dying in this way on a, you know, for a child of Billy's age? I mean, he was three or four, um, you know, and I'm not sure. Based on what we learned in the documentary, mom might have lied about how father died. Um, and, and the kids didn't find out till later that it was suicide. But let's just go with, like, say that they, they did know. Um, were they able to understand, like, Billy, was he able to understand what he had witnessed with his father taking the pills and then drinking and then not, you know, everything that happened afterwards? Children are naturally very sensitive to changes in their parents' behaviors and moods, um, even at a really young age. So while Billy probably didn't understand the concept of suicide or even death fully when he was three, he would have certainly noticed if his dad was more sad, angry, or withdrawn, and probably could have felt very scared seeing his dad collapse and be unresponsive without knowing why or what was happening. That would be really scary for a child. Um, Fortunately for the kids, um, when Johnny did eventually complete suicide, he did not die at home where the kids could find him. Um, It was at a hotel that he was staying at. So um, that's a a small, you know, piece of like relief. Yeah. Um, But losing a parent at any age is incredibly hard for a child. You know, when a child is three or four years old, they don't have an understanding of that, like, abstract concept of death or its permanence um, and that kind of thing. So at the time, it just seems like their parent just disappeared and never came back. So this can contribute to feelings of abandonment, fear, anger, and difficulty trusting that, you know, the other people in their life will stick around and continue to be there. So you often see after the death of a family member, kids have a lot of anxiety that their other family members are also going to die. Um, Well, and the book published the suicide note, and it was really long. Um, But the suicide note, it, it illuminated a little bit of what might have really been occurring in the home versus what we originally thought. So um, I'm going to read a few blurbs from it. And basically what it sounds like is that Johnny is accusing 
mom of doing the things um, that she blamed him for. So let's see. <clears throat> Drinking. So this is what he is accusing um, mom of doing in the suicide note. That she was drinking continually, disappearing from the club, and when she was in these conditions, the children weren't safe with her. More than once, when she hit the children, it was with her arm instead of the flat of her hand. I had to threaten her with a beating to get her to stop. To stop. Believe me, my wife was a living hell. And um, she was c- drinking and fighting continually all the time. And she got hepatitis from her drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was, she was drinking a lot. Um, so let's see, um, her continued drinking put her back into the hospital for a hemorrhoid operation. And in view of the fact that her liver, that by this time was beyond beca- repair, they couldn't operate. She was there for weeks. She started boasting how she played me for a sucker all these years. Um, let's see. That was kind of what was underlying. So, Courtney, anything I missed because you looked more into that suicide note than I did, but kind of tell me, like, what what is that suicide note revealing? Yeah, so essentially kind of the narrative that Billy and his siblings were getting from his mom about his dad was that dad was a drunk, abusive gambler who didn't care about the family and was, you know getting in bad with loan sharks and, you know, all these, all these things um, where the suicide note, which was kept a secret from the kids, um, they didn't ever get a chance to look at it until they were fully adults. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad in the note sort of presents this alternative narrative that, yes, those things were happening, but that it was Bomb who was more of the guilty party. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mom was the one that was drinking and that was abusive and that was cheating and hanging out with unsavory people mm-hmm. um, and, you know, drinking so much that she was hospitalized um, because of her liver kind of a thing. Yeah. And that he stuck around as long as he did to try and protect the kids. Um, but ultimately, like, the relationship between mom and dad was the reason that Johnny decided to end his life. Um, so the reason why like we're kind of bringing that up is this is the age where, where Billy starts to um, have his first imaginary friends and alters come out. So something was happening most likely if the suicide is correct. Uh, mom is that like dad said, hitting them with her arms, getting drunk, being negligent, all sorts of stuff. Right. So this could be the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mom is being severely abusive to kids. Potentially. Potentially. Or dad is being yeah. abusive and severely abusive to mom that the kids are witnessing. Yeah. So either way, something in these like first three, four years is happening that's really bad. Okay. And so this is like where the trauma starts, but it gets a hell of a lot worse. So, so it's about this time that Christine emerged. Christine was a little three-year-old girl that would sometimes come in around and take Billy's place. So Christine identified as a female. She loved her baby sister, Kathy. So remember, that Billy's got a little sister named Kathy. At this time, Kathy is, like, sleeping in a crib. If Kathy would cry, Christine would go to the beautiful lady and tell her about it. So the beautiful lady is mom. 
but it's not Christine's mom. She just knows her as the beautiful lady. The beautiful lady would call Christine Billy and thank her for taking care of Kathy. One day when Christine was present, she drew with crayons on something, I think it was the wall, that she shouldn't have. When Billy's mom saw this, she got very angry and scared Christine away. So then what happened next was that Billy was there, and he was not understanding why he was being yelled at by his mom. Here's a quote from the book. Christine heard someone coming. She looked up to see the beautiful lady glaring at the drawing on the wall and the red crayon in her hand. That's bad, 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 Dorothy shouted. Christine closed her eyes and went away. Billy opened his eyes and saw the anger on his mother's face. When she grabbed and shook him, he got scared and cried. He didn't know why he was being punished. Then he saw the drawing on the wall and wondered who had done that naughty thing. Me, not bad, he cried. You drew on the wall, she shouted. He shook his head. Not Billy. Kathy did it, pointing to the crib. You mustn't lie, Dorothy said, jabbing her forefinger hard against his little chest. Lying is bad. You'll go to hell if you're a liar. Now get to your room. Courtney, let's just talk about what occurred. So what you just described is kind of the first fracture and emergence of an alternative identity. Billy's brain and personality were still developing. And when he became overwhelmed by, you know, the emotional trauma of losing his dad and or witnessing that first suicide attempt and whatever other, um, you know, abuses were occurring during that time, Christine was created to protect him from that emotional pain. The week after Johnny passed away, the loan sharks came looking for their money. They threatened Dorothy with violence, so she packed the kids up and headed back to her home in Ohio. She actually reunited with an ex-husband named Dick Jonas, and they remarried. The documentary made it sound like she married Dick basically just to, like, right out of high school to get out of her parents' house. And it didn't last long. When Billy was almost five, another incident occurred. He was trying to get something off the counter when he knocked and broke a cookie jar. It crashed to the floor, and he was terrified of getting in trouble with his mother. He wished he could not be there, and he, quote, fell asleep. Sean awoke in Billy's place and surveyed the scene. He didn't know what was broken or why, but a pretty lady came in and started screaming at him and shaking him violently. She kept shaking him and screaming at him, eventually dragging him down the hall and locking him in his room. Sean fell asleep and Billy woke up, wondering where the cookie jar was and how he got into his room. So, Courtney, we know that DID comes from repetitive bouts of trauma, and we just talked about... Um, you know, what was revealed in the suicide note. Do you think that maybe mom was even more abusive than what was revealed in the book? What's your guess on why, like, he's already splitting already? It can be, you know, hard to know what the truth is in these situations. You know, Johnny made a lot of allegations about Dorothy um, in his letter, but she denied those. And, um, you know, the book just couldn't have possibly listed out every single abusive action that he experienced. Um, So dissociation itself, um, which is essentially like withdrawing into the mind and disconnecting from reality, is a natural defense mechanism that all humans have the capacity for. Um, But when trauma is too painful or too frequent, it can develop into something like DID, Um, And this is most likely to happen during very young childhood, as that is when the brain is still very plastic and personality development is still really flexible. 
And he had other siblings that didn't develop DID. So it probably also depends upon a little bit on the person, too. Like, Right. Some people are more um, sensitive mm-hmm. um, to certain things. Some people are more emotional. Yeah. Um, so there's probably a whole lot of factors because I'm sure, uh, at least at this point, all three of those kids were getting a little bit of this from mom. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if you guys haven't been able to tell already, mom is very pretty, and she was. We saw pictures of her. She was a very beautiful woman. She was a lounge singer. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. The marriage with Dick only lasted a year. Dorothy was a lounge singer, and that is how she supported her children. She enrolled them into St. Joseph's School in Circleville, Ohio, a Catholic school. Unfortunately for Billy, he was left-handed. Courtney is also left-handed. I am. You would have been screwed. I would have. Courtney, we know that what nuns like to do to lefties, don't we? Billy had an amazing talent for sketching, and the nuns were impressed by it, but one of the ones in second grade was determined to get him to use his right hand to sketch and do all of the you know, work. After all, because the devil was in the left hand, right? So when the nuns would beat his hands with the ruler, Billy would switch places with Sean. So it sounds like Sean was the one that was taking a lot of the physical abuse at this time. Right. When the abuse was done, Billy would return, seeing welts on his hands and feeling the tears on his face, but not remembering the incident. By age seven, Billy was running away from home. He convinced his older brother, who he called Jimbo, to go with him. And Jimbo didn't understand how his little brother could talk him into doing so many things, including their brief stints of running away, but he could. They came back eventually, usually. It got dark and scary after all. Courtney, I think we're starting to see that Billy is learning how to manipulate others. He may be doing it subconsciously, but it's a pattern that seems to be emerging. Do you agree? Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, when children do things that we as adults think of as manipulative, we have to remember that they usually aren't trying to be malicious in any sort of way, but have learned to manipulate people or situations in order to cope um, or to get their needs met. This is definitely something I've learned working at where we work and like studying this stuff. Kids are just trying to get their needs met. Right. And their behaviors reflect their way of doing that. And they can be horrible behaviors that drive the adults crazy in their lives or their siblings or whatever. But ultimately, they are just trying to survive. Exactly. In 1962, that's when shit gets really hard for little Billy. So please note, there will be extreme child abuse discussed in this next part of the story. Dorothy meets Chalmer Milligan in a bowling alley where she is singing. I would like to go to a bowling alley where there's a lounge singer. That would be amazing. I would totally go there. I would too. So Chalmer was a widower. And after the story, I'm curious how his wife died. Uh, But he had a daughter named Chala who was Billy's age. The two got married in 1963. Chalmer had a family family farm in a rural part of Ohio that he would sometimes go and work at. Chalmer was a Protestant, so he took all of the kids out of the Catholic school and enrolled them into a different school. He also changed their churches. Chalmer was a very strict man. Dinner was now a somber affair where talking was not allowed. Dishes had to be passed in a certain direction. Uh, salt, pepper, all that stuff. It was very like boom, boom, boom. Chalmer was even worse when he drank about everything. Billy would fade in and out between himself, Christine, Sean, based on the situation. And he started to make this weird buzzing sound that his siblings noticed. And he didn't know what they were talking about when they would ask him why he buzzed. I don't know, Courtney, have you heard of this? Some weird dissociation or dissociation technique? 
No, actually. Um, You know, one of the things that I find fascinating about DID is that different alters can have different abilities, disabilities, and medical conditions. So in this case, Sean was deaf. Um, He couldn't hear or speak. So it would make sense that he would come out when Billy was being yelled at or during other kind of loud, overwhelming moments. Um, And in the book, the buzzing is described kind of as a form of sensory self-soothing, as Sean could feel the vibrations that it made in his body. And so that was like a calming sensation for him. Yeah, it was like they described it as like a bzzz or like, you know, something like that. Right. Yeah. Like buzzing like a bee. I didn't realize that Sean was deaf. I missed that piece. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they do talk awesome. about it in the book. Yeah. Okay. That's, I haven't finished the book, but that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So when Billy was nine years old, Chalmer drove him out to the farm alone. This was the first time that Chalmer sexually assaulted Billy. A later psychiatrist that interviewed Billy, Dr. George Harding, made this statement to the court. Quote, the patient reports that he suffered sadistic and sexual abuse, including anal intercourse from Mr. Milligan. According to the patient, this occurred when was when he was eight or nine over the course of a year, generally on a farm where he would be alone with his stepfather. He indicates that he was afraid that the stepfather would kill him in so much as he threatened to bury him in the barn and tell the mother that he had run away. Courtney? I don't think that there's much more to say about this abuse other than it's horrific and Chalmer was a very, very bad man. Um, And these are the types of abuse situations that are most often associated with a diagnosis of DID later. It was about this time that Chalmer started to beat Dorothy as well. He was upset that one of the instances was that she was, uh, she spoke to a black man at a work at, she worked at like a factory and Chalmer did too. They all kind of worked together. And there was a black person that worked at the factory and it looked like he was dozing off. And she went up to him, woke him up and said, be careful because this assembly line, it could be dangerous. Well, Chalmer did not like that and got extremely upset and beat her for doing this. Billy saw this happen and ran and hid in his room, terrified of being buried alive. This time in his life was the first, what he calls mix up time. This is a term that Billy uses to describe periods in his life where there was a lot of ins and outs of his consciousness. He was losing a lot of time. His fourth grade teacher noticed odd behavior from Billy. One of his personalities would appear and would not know what was happening and say something really weird. This would get him in trouble and he would have to face the wall in the school classroom. When that happened, three-year-old Christine would come out and look at the wall for Billy. Christine was the first of the personalities to learn or hear the other personalities. The first one she heard was named Reagan. Reagan had an accent, and he was from Yugoslavia. On the day that she heard Reagan in her mind, but she wasn't quite sure where the voice was coming from, he helped her get an apple off a tree to give to her teacher. When Christine gave the apple to the teacher, the teacher thanked Billy, which upset Christine because it was her that brought the apple. Okay, Courtney, this is a lot. We have two personalities talking and helping each other here and one that speaks in an accent. It is understandable why many think this is a bogus diagnosis. What are your thoughts? So these are both actually really common things for DID. You know, the different alters often do have wildly different origin stories, traits, interests, and mannerisms that can include accents. It's also common that the different alters are different ages, So, you know, children can have adult alters, and adults often have alters that are forever children. Mm -hmm. Um, And while co-consciousness, which is what it's called when the different um, identities are aware of each other, 
Um, it's not always present. It is more common for the alters within the system to know about each other than for the host or the main personality to know about the alters. Billy's next personality also had an accent. Arthur was British. Arthur came out one day when Kathy and Jimbo were with him, so his siblings were with him. He looked down at the two unmatched socks on his feet and said, quote, Oh, I say, these are most certainly not mates. I'm so sorry, British people, if you're listening to me. I know that was horrible. Kathy giggled and thought Billy was trying to sound like Sherlock Holmes and was playing a game. They all walked to school with Arthur confused about who everyone was and where they were going. And when they got to school, he didn't know what classroom to go to. His siblings laughed and like said, get in there, Billy. Um, so we did. And when he got into the classroom, he didn't know what seat to sit in. So he just waited till everyone sat down. And then he took the last seat that was, he's pretty logical, this Arthur. Yes. There was a math test that day, and Arthur took the test and did it in record time. All in his head. It was like multiplication and division. He didn't need to, like, use a pencil to figure out the problems. There was um, – so after he took the test, he left, and Billy came back, right? Billy was just in time for grading of the math test, and he was super confused when the teacher had the kids bring all the tests up to get them graded. He didn't remember taking the test, but he found the test in his desk, and he saw that all the answers – or all the problems had answers, but the answers were not in his handwriting, but he was like, oh, well, and he gave it to the teacher, and he got a perfect score. The teacher thought he had cheated and even searched all of his stuff for evidence but didn't find any. Courtney? So this is a really great example of how – amnesia, the amnesia part of DID, can impact a person. You know, when an alter takes over, the host essentially goes to sleep. And even though hours or days or even months can pass, the host wakes up feeling as though no time has passed at all and not knowing anything that occurred during that time. It's crazy. Not crazy. That's not the word to use. It's fascinating. From fourth to eighth grade, Billy was in trouble a lot at school. And I mean, you can see why. Right. Poor kid. He was thought of as a liar, a troublemaker. He was in and out of principal's offices, guidance counselor, advisors, school psychologists, everything. People noticed he would go in and out of trances and that he was what they called strange. Billy and his alters would lie all the time because they were just also confused on what was happening and they just were trying to get by. If all of what is reported in the book is the truth, this poor kid was so beyond the scope of anyone's help. I mean, Courtney, can you imagine how confusing this all would be? I can't even imagine it. I mean, it would have been so just overwhelming mm -hmm. all the time. Right. In the spring of 1969, when Billy was 14, Chalmer took her to the farm and made Chalmer took him to the farm, sorry, and made Billy dig a hole. Dr. Stella. Carolyn describes in court what was revealed that happened that day. Quote, his stepfather abused Billy sexually and threatened to bury him alive if he told his mother. He even buried the child, leaving a pipe over his face for air. Before he shoveled the dirt on, on the child and urinated through the pipe into the child's face. At that time, a new personality, Danny, was the one who endured. And Danny was forever scared of the ground after that day. He hated the grass, the earth, and he would never paint a landscape. Courtney? You know, alters are frequently pretty one-dimensional in that they are created for a specific reason, and their dominating personality trait is suited specifically for this purpose. Um, and so when talking about Danny, the alter in the book, um, 
it really sounds like Danny was created specifically to kind of just hold all of that pain from the abuse. Pure speculation on your part. If <clears throat> if mom hadn't married Chalmer and the abuse basically stopped with what was happening with mom, do you think that Billy would have continued having more and more alters? The book made it sound like this particular instance um, is what completely shattered him. You know, that's hard to say because there were already fragmentation happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is possible that um, if we also then assume that if mom was abusing the kids before, that she also stopped abusing the kids. Yeah. Um, that there wouldn't have been a need to create others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that possibly over time, you know, his... His mind could have kind of healed itself and, and integrated those, you know, you Sean and Christine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that it's, most likely, like, he would never be, like, a normal kid who yeah. had never experienced trauma. Yeah, I mean, what what Chalmer just did to him, burying him mm-hmm. in the ground in a, in a grave that he made Billy dig himself... Mm-hmm. giving him a pipe to breathe through, then peeing through the pipe all over his face and making him stay there for I don't know how long before right. letting him up is like... Right. He genuinely probably thought he was going to die. Yeah. So Tommy was the next personality to surface, and Tommy enjoyed learning about how things worked. Adalna Adalana. I can't, I don't know. Adelana. Adelana came around at this time too, and she did things like flower arranging and housework. Chalmer had just watched a movie where he learned how to use a garden hose as a weapon. He cut one into two four-foot-long pieces, then tied it together with duct tape and used it like a whip. One day, Adelana was doing dishes when Chalmer came up behind her and hit her so hard in the back with the hose that it knocked her to the floor. So this taught Adelana that men were to be feared and not trusted. Chalmer would hang that hose on his door as a threat to all. Tommy learned how to take all sorts of things apart and put them back together, locks, motors, stuff like that. One night when Chalmer was being particularly cruel, he took his electric razor apart and filed all three blades dull, then put it back together and left. When Chalmer used it the next day, he cried out in pain as the dull blades pulled on his facial hair rather than cut it. It's the little things. It is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Alan was the next personality to emerge, and he's the smooth talker. We see a lot of Alan. Right. Um, The day Alan came out was when Billy was in a spat with some neighborhood thugs, and Alan was trying to talk them out of throwing him down into this pit. They tossed him down into the pit and then started to throw rocks at him. So you remember Reagan. We talked about Reagan earlier. Helped Christine pull the apple from the tree. Had the Yuka's log accent. Yes. Well, Reagan is the tough alter. He's the one that takes no shit. And he took over and he ran at the boys and with the pocket knife that he had, threatening to stab them. This got the boys' attention and they scattered, afraid of Billy slash Reagan. And one of the boys' parents told Billy's parents about the knife and Chalmer promptly beat the shit out of him for that. Courtney, any new thoughts on these new personalities emerging? So these three kind of new ones each have some pretty clear purposes, right? Tommy was created to learn how to escape if necessary. That's why he was good at taking things like locks apart. Alan was created to help talk his way out of problems. And Reagan is the protector of Billy and the system. So he was there to keep everybody safe and alive. Yeah. 
Um, so that's where we're going to stop for the day. Um, there's more personalities coming, but twenty four and all. Yeah, uh, but the main ones we will see are Arthur, Alan, Tommy, and Reagan, I believe. And Danny. Danny gets a, a lot of time too. For Danny. Mm-hmm. Danny is. Yep. Poor Danny. Anyways, so I hope that we're um, explaining this in a way that's not too confusing. It is, it's hard to articulate everything, but we're doing our best. I think we're doing a good job. I, I recommend, if this at all is interesting to you, which I would imagine it is if you listen to our podcast, watching that Netflix series. The Wait till we're done. Right. So that you- <laughs> And then I'm just kidding. It. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty. It's pretty fascinating. And there's interviews with his his brother, his sister, interviews with his mom. But they're old interviews because I'm assuming mm-hmm. she's passed away by now. Right. Um, so anyhow, that's going to be where we're going to stop today. It was a pretty long episode for for. I don't know how many parts this is going to be. I don't either. Not twenty four. He's fourteen now. Yeah. So yeah. All right, everybody, stay safe, and we'll. Unless you had something to say. Nope. All right. We're good. See you next. Time.